Hey, hey, yes, indeed, you're listening to Backchat, the freshest rap of news and current affairs on the radio, where your presenters, Kyle and Jackie O. That is not correct, okay. Sweater Das. <laughs> and Madison Connaughton. Uh, yeah, so this week we're going to be talking about a virtual kidnapping scam that's been targeting international students in Australia. And we have Gina Rushton from BuzzFeed in the studio with us to chat about the New South Wales parliamentary vote on safe zones around clinics that offer abortions. Uh, lots of news this week, Madison. Yeah, it's been a big news week. Um, I guess, obviously, the Korea, North Korea, US talks falling, falling down, mm. uh, falling apart. And but maybe not. We'll know next week. To yeah, quote Donald Trump, yeah. who knows what's coming next with that? Yeah. Um, obviously, the reports that Harvey Weinstein will be arrested over um, allegations of sexual harassment and assault um, in New York. So that's that's a big news story to keep an eye on. Um, but first, it is um, National Sorry Day today, um, May twenty sixth, and it's actually the twentieth anniversary of um, Sorry Day, and ten years since the apology. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there was a very interesting tweet you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think um, it was Pat Dodson, who's a Labor senator from WA, um, and he tweeted out this morning, Sorry Day is an opportunity to dedicate it ourselves to a reconciled future, but words must be linked to meaningful actions and commitment to reform. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really pushing that idea that a lot of people have been talking about, that sort of um, this shouldn't just be another gesture, like let's let's see some meaningful action um, and and um, push for autonomy. Yeah, definitely. But Madison, I want to get into, I think, our favorite story of this week. And every week. Every week. We love it. Luke Foley, White Flight. Let's get into it. Um, So just a bit of background for people who might not have caught this story. Um, So Luke Foley did an interview with the Daily Telegraph uh, in which he used the term white flight um, to talk about... um, quote, Anglo families moving out of um, Western Sydney because of an influx of Syrian and Iraqi refugees, especially into places like Fairfield. And this caused a lot of, um, there was a lot of media coverage um, on, and also a lot of furor on Twitter, um, which actually pushed Foley to make an apology. Uh, (laughs) Let's listen to it. Is it an apology? (laughs) Yeah, I meant no offence, but some people have told me today they find the term, you know, pretty unpalatable. So I certainly won't use it again, and I apologise. Oh, is that an apology? It's kind of, I'm sorry you were offended. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, he sounds like every man I've ever dated. Um, so it's it's interesting this uh, the usage of this term because he was trying to drive a point in his article in this article this interview, um, but what people really gleaned from it was the fact that he used the term white flight and a lot of other words like burden, um, and you know the huge burden of migration and and you know struggling and all those kind of words kind of have negative connotations that people are really drawing on. Yeah, I think as well, um, Pauline Hanson weighed in. Um, well, we love a weigh-in from Pauline. <laughs> and she said that, you know, I've been saying this for years and um, she pointed to this idea that there would be ghettos created in Australia. And, you know, I think you can't um, you can't pretend like those, those words don't have 
like long term um they don't have like they have meaning like they have they have weight to them they like the the term ghetto that means something to people the the idea of white flight like these these have connotations and i don't know there's the idea that you know people said it was luke foley was dog whistling Mm. um the other the other end of the scale would be that he just didn't think about the fact that using words like white flight and using words like burden um you know they have connotations yeah definitely and you know what's really important is that you know at the end of the day luke foley is a representative to auburn in sydney and that has a huge uh, migrant population and so you know he says this and people are offended but also what do his constituents think about their representative um, if he's going around saying using terms like this you know how do they feel mm. yeah I think he was like and it's tough because you don't want to under underplay the fact that you know he did use this term and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of um, offense about it but like he was pointing to something kind of interesting, which was the fact that there has been that like I think it was like three quarters of of the refugee intake into New South Wales went to this one suburb yeah. um, of Fairfield, and that there hadn't been any um, resources to match that. There hadn't been money put into schools or hospitals or, or public services, and that's a really important point. And that's like a that's like a policy position, and it's been completely overrun by the fact that he used the term white flight. Yeah, yeah, and he should have thought about that. He should have. Like, <laughs> what's the training happening here for these kinds of things? Like, it's great to come out with, like, a good policy, but, you know, when it's overshadowed by something else. I have a lot of young Labour friends on Facebook making statuses just being like, guys, ugh, <laughs> we just want to support the party. <laughs> we're like, we're people of colour. We don't know what to do. It's going to be a very interesting story. I think it will be fascinating to see what happens to Luke, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, yeah, well, there's rumours that he's probably gonna lose his role we don't know we're gonna we'll keep uh we'll keep you all updated yeah and also we'd love to hear what people think about um about luke foley uh and everything that's happened we actually have a text in from someone who lives out in fairfield and (laughs) uh they said fairfield is the best most diverse place to live who the beep is this cowboy (laughs) luke foley So Fairfield represent. If if you have a text, um, uh, if you have some views about Luke Foley and what he said, if you if you live out in Fairfield um, or in Auburn, shoot us a text on 0409 945 945. But right now we're very pleased to welcome Gina Rushton into the studio. Gina, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Gina. How are you doing this morning? Good. Um, we wanted to have you in to have a chat about the New South Wales um, legislation about um, abortion clinics or clinics that offer abortion services in New South Wales. So tell us a little bit about the vote that, that went towards uh, in front of state parliament this week. Yeah, so um, it passed through the upper house. So it was a, um, a bill introduced... Uh, well, the original bill was introduced by Penny Sharp uh, last year to enact safe access zones around um, abortion clinics so protesters, protesters can't come in within 150 metres to harass or intimidate patients. Um, and then it was co-sponsored and found kind of support um, with the Nationals. So it's been co-sponsored by Trevor Khan and, yeah, passed through the upper house. So now it just has to pass through the lower house. And Do you think it will be a pretty easy uh, movement? Yeah, I think it'll be successful. I mean, the Premier, um, you know, Gladys Berejiklian is even supporting it. I think I think it has a good chance of passing. You mentioned that this is co-sponsored by a national, and 
I guess coming from a uh, <laughs> sort of like a spectator point on politics, like that yeah. seems kind of surprising to me because nationals tend to be more conservative on on social policy like how did the nationals come around to supporting um safe zones around abortion clinics yeah well i think there's a couple of reasons why i think i think the first reason why um they're supporting it is that it's not actually about abortion you know it's not um it's not even about decriminalizing it in new south wales it's just about creating um these access zones around abortion. So so I think Nats can safely argue that it's about privacy and it's about medical privacy and safety and um, intimidation and all those things without having to have some kind of anti-choice or pro-choice or whatever debate. And I also think that they're supporting it because they know that this issue... Um, really affects women, country women. I mean, there's a reason why the Country Women's Association threw their support behind it, and that's because it, um, it's, it's an issue in... Um, you know, your privacy, particularly in a small town, uh, is, a, is a big deal. Like, we, we've spoken to women in country areas who, um, you know, I'm thinking of one woman in, in particular who couldn't actually go and get a surgical termination because her family member picketed outside the clinic. So wow. um, that, I think that kind of thing it sort of becomes even more of an issue in country areas. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, um, you mentioned that you have done a lot of um, interviews with with women who've used these services. Mm. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us of what, you know, some of our listeners may have been some of these clinics, some have walked past them, but Mm. people may not know what what is meant by like protesting outside of a clinic like what does it look like what does it sound like what what yeah. is the experience of being a woman just even going there yeah sure so uh, i think more of the some of the more maybe benign stuff is um silent prayer it's it's really silent but it's silent prayer or um you know putting holy water on the footpath in front of the women walking in um and then there's obviously signs so pretty graphic images um often of uh, stillborn babies for wanted pregnancies, often for, you know, and, and definitely for second trimester terminations, which is not what 90, 90-something percent of women in Australia are getting anyway. So sort of qu- quite graphic images. And then um, we've spoken to women, and also it should I should say not just women but staff entering the clinics who deal with this um, daily, um, who have been... Um, so they might be offered pamphlets and I spend a lot of my job fact checking these pamphlets which are full of like pretty harmful um, pieces of misinformation so um, they're handed pamphlets or they're um, told I've spoken to one woman who was told that she'll burn um, in hell for eternity Um, there are there are obviously cases of people being called child murderers or baby killers or that kind of thing Um, one of the worst ones was uh, and this is in Albury where the picketers are quite active. Um, a woman went in with her kid and the kid was told by the protesters that their mum was about to kill their brother or sister. Um, and just last week we published a story um, about something that I'd anecdotally heard from kind of clinic owners and staff that... Um, women of colour were being particularly targeted, women with maybe poorer language skills were being targeted um, and told that they could have assistance with visa or immigration or whatever if they kept their babies. This was a video that BuzzFeed released. Yeah, so, and I'd heard this anecdotally, I've heard this anecdotally for years, but there's obviously, and for good reason, that's really hard to prove because of patient privacy and and that's a good thing. But um, we had this 
we got this footage and it's like really um, just kind of proves that this, I mean, it's at least happened once. Um, and it kind of shows um, this woman who actually wasn't going to get a termination. She is a, um, she's a patient escort and she volunteers and she's Chinese Australian and she'd heard that this thing had been happening. And so she put a, you know, camera in her pocket and decided to, decide to see if she would get approached and she just walked slowly into the uh, clinic with her friend, um, also Chinese Australian, who isn't her partner, but I think they just assumed he was. And um, one of the yeah most active picketers at the clinic at Surrey Hills came up to her and says, um, he just assumes that she can't speak English at all um, and starts kind of talking to her in this like really... I mean, apart from anything, it's, like, offensive in a lot of ways, but starts talking to her and saying, we can help you with immigration, we can help you, we have a free lawyer if you keep your baby, if that's the issue. Um, so, yeah, she she got that pretty public and, you know, like, there were passers-by and everyone could kind of hear this conversation, but she got that on camera. That is so intense, my God. Yeah, and if you think of other medical services um, <coughs> people access, there's just, there's not really, you can't really think of anything where they have to risk... Absolutely. interacting with yeah. people like that. For sure. I mean, as you mentioned, um, getting an abortion in New South Wales is illegal. So mm. do you think that the passing of this bill will take away the focus from decriminalising abortion or do you think this will make it easier to pass? Um, well, we know that, you know, the bill for decriminalisation failed um, last year and I think that... Um, a lot of people would argue that this is one step in the right direction and that if and that if we kind of set this standard that, or have this conversation that maybe that will start paving the way for decriminalisation. I think that, um, bec- you know, it's not like women aren't getting terminations in New South Wales. That all, all the terminations that have, they are technically lawful. Um, it's not like they're doing something illegal. Um, they, all, they fit within a certain set of criteria which makes the termination lawful. So I think it will take a lot of political willpower to, in any time soon decriminalise it to be honest. And so how does New South Wales compare to other states when it comes to this issue? Um, it's really interesting actually like so Queensland it, it's still in the criminal code it's still crime crime in Queensland um, but that's not necessarily like sometimes it, it's so different state to state and Australia just has just this patchwork of, of access issues that um, you know so yes it's a crime in Queensland but like say in Tasmania where it's decriminalised and we do have safe access zones women are flying into state at the moment for surgical terminations um, because they're the one main surgical provider shut down and um, why did that provider shut down? um, well um, he would say there wasn't quite the demand and it was a huge cost for him to um, continue Continue to provide it with all the accreditation and licensing and all that stuff. And there's a rise in medical terminations, which we know. And and he also has a medical termination. So he also runs the Tabit Foundation, which is the postal abortion service. Mm-hmm. So I think for him, he's he's seen this increase in medical terminations and just kind of wants to focus on that. Um, and he probably thinks, like like a lot of people who work in that space. In fact, I, I know he does that that there, there should be public provision of surgical terminations, especially in a state where it's. Um, where it's legal, so like the, the sh- you should be able to go to um, like a public hospital. Yeah, yep. so so in South Australia, there's there's you know South Australia is one of the only places in Australia where you can um, you can get a termination sometimes at no cost. Um, 
I think it's really interesting, especially because we're seeing the Irish referendum coming up around mm. legalizing abortion, and it, Ireland is a com- country that is it, very religious, mm. um, and it seems like on this issue in particular, I mean, it's something that you report on a lot. But Australia has this patchwork of laws, like access mm. is a huge issue. Access in regional Australia is a huge, huge issue. issue yeah. It feels like we're kind of falling behind on on the issue of like women's reproductive rights. Yeah, it's it's interesting, um, and it just varies so much state to t- state, and I think that people don't quite understand that because if you have money, and it really does come down to money, and and I I used to think it was a little bit more about um, location, a little bit, but basically, if you have money, you can fly somewhere and you can get a termination in Australia, but if you don't have money, like there are women in Queensland who basically rely on counselling services to fundraise, which they do via Facebook. Um, to have terminate like there's a, a children by choice in Queensland like they'll put up a status and say hey we have this homeless woman who needs a termination and people will donate and that is how she gets a termination rather than having public access um I don't so you know that's the kind of a, a I guess an area where we're failing um poorer women but also when you look at Ireland and the situation there now um I mean abortions just you know, a woman. They basically a woman had to die in two thousand and thirteen until until they made it um, the case that you, that in, <laughs> like this woman basically ha- was had a failing miscarriage, that had a miscarriage, a failing pregnancy. She was having she had sepsis, and the doctors couldn't touch the miscar the the pregnancy because um, it had the same rights as her. And she did end up fully miscarrying, but she died. And it wasn't until two thousand and thirteen that they kind of said, okay, well. Maybe if the woman, if her life is actually in risk, we can do this. But that is a case that we we don't. We're very lucky in Australia that we it's not that bad. So she kind of became like the face or the human, um, the human side of of this abortion debate. Yeah, definitely. It, I think it definitely gave um, the yes campaign in this kind of momentum heading towards yeah. Well, what's a referendum? And we, um, the latest exit poll is showing that it's at sixty nine percent. Uh, so it's looking like, yeah, it's going to be successful. Great. Well, I mean, we're going to continue looking at this. Um, yeah. And we'll see how it goes in the lower house. Thank you so much for coming in and talking You're to welcome. us about this. Thanks for having me. Um, if you'd like to talk to us about the Safe Zones legislation, please text in at 0409 945 945. Um, we're going to move on to a domestic story. So recently Chinese international students have been targeted in virtual kidnapping scams. So basically students are contacted by a scammer who informs them that they've been implicated in crimes back in China or Taiwan and then they're threatened, their families are threatened if they don't cooperate with these scammers. And so basically they'll ask these students to cut off contact with their families and then the scammers will reach out to their parents overseas and tell them that their child has been kidnapped and that they have to pay a huge sum to get them back. Now there have been cases of these scams occurring in Canada and the United States too and here to talk more about this is Lennon Chang, Senior Lecturer in Criminology at Monash University. Hi Lennon. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Um, so, how did you come across this scam? Well, I'm, I've, I didn't come across scam. I saw it from the news, but um, it's actually my research area, which I've been down for the past decade. Yeah. Um, I for the past decade. Yeah, it's uh, well, I say not. It's actually not a new type of scam. It's um, a type of scam that has been used into. Uh, 
in in the in uh, late 1990s to early 20, uh, 2000 in Taiwan and China. So in old days, what they do is that they give you pa- uh, give the parents a phone call, telling them their kid uh, their kid has been kidnapped, in order to get a ransom. But um, what happens in Australia or even other countries like Canada and the U.S. now is that they are targeting the international students. So I call this as a old wine in different shape of bottles. Mm, okay. And I think, I guess, you know, this scam has been going on for a decade, but it must have evolved yeah. because now it's, it's all online? Um, yeah, actually, it's one of the new products. Uh, by uh, facilitate, uh, it's it's going up one the, the the type of scan that has been facilitated by the uh, technology, which we call it as a technology facilitated crime. And um, what they do is um, the, the technology actually helps the uh, evolution of this kind of scan. For example, in old days, uh, people people from Taiwan only scan people in Taiwan. And then they start to use the technology to scam people in China, of course, in collaboration with uh, scammers from China. And when when the police start to collaborate with each other, they uh, the the organized crime syndicates actually move to third country like Indonesia, like Kenya, even Australia. So when they they the, the the reason why they move to third country is because uh, in uh, they are trying to make the crime investigation even more difficult. Even even the police can find out where they are located. It still takes them a long time to collaborate with the police in the country. Um, Lennon, you you mentioned that this is largely targeting Chinese international students. I mean, are there enough services at universities to help students? Um, you know, when they think that they might be targeted by a scam or are there support services there so so that they have someone to reach out to and go, is this real, is this not real? It seems like they, they must be pretty isolated for this to to be working. Yeah, actually, um, one of the issues now is the reason why they're targeting international students is uh, they know the international students are more vulnerable. They are here sometimes alone by themselves and they might not know where to seek help. And you are right, I think uh, universities or communities need to, to provide some, some kind of support to the students. But as you know, this is sort of thing, new type of crime in Australia. I don't think the university are quite well prepared for this yet. There are, there are actually uh, 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 services that provide to students against crime, but not, I don't think there's any, any services that has been designed so to prevent this kind of crime yet. So how would um, how would you advise students protect themselves from these scams? Well, one, the first thing, of course, they have to uh, double check. Or as I mentioned in, in the conversation, I think uh, the student would definitely need to let uh, their parents know who are their close friends. So if the parents cannot, cannot get in contact with them at, uh, at the first instance, they will be able to contact their friends or contact the university in order to check whether this kind of scam is uh, a real one or not. And the students might need to, uh, my, my suggestion to the students is that uh, wherever, whatever they do, they, they definitely need to let uh, their close friends or, or someone know where they are going or what, what, what is happening to them. 
so that this uh, through this way they will be able to prevent uh, being fraud or like just being being uh, social engineered. Great. Well, great advice. Thank you so much for talking to us, Lennon. I will continue to follow this story. I think, Madison, what will be really interesting is seeing how the new general data protection laws are being introduced in Europe and scaled globally and how these kind of d- data protection laws are going to affect these kind of online scams. Uh, but, you know, on that note, that's all we have for the show today. That's all we have yeah. time for. Um, we have one text that I just want to read out. Yeah. But someone texted in about safe zones and said, if only state parliament had a safe access zone, that is a 150 metre perimeter excluding <laughs> that fossil Fred Nile. <laughs> oh, controversial on the text line. But um, we, we've got agenda coming up next, so mm-hmm. stay tuned. But right now we've got Anderson Park's new one, Bublin. We-